right, hello internet. Welcome back to Sim Geeks podcast. We have taken a bit of an unexpected hiatus, but we have a really good reason for it. Uh, so, Dave, I'll let you get started, man. Where you been for the last three or four weeks? First off, this is not a trend. <laughs> We've had interesting things that we'll talk about. So, for the last three or four weeks, uh, I went to uh, the International Healthcare Simulation Conference in San Diego, California. Uh, I got to take my wife for the first 30 hours, which is awful nice because we don't get a lot of time without kids. But uh, so I went to IMSH. It was my second time going to it, and uh, it was a bunch of fun. Uh, Got to see some stuff, got to learn some stuff, some stuff that will actually help with this broadcast here. Uh, And of course, the networking, which is to me, it's one of the best, not the best, but it's one of the best features of these conferences is you get to meet like-minded individuals and get introduced to a lot more so you meet friends and you talk to more than that um what have you been up to so first off i'll agree with you on that we you know we met at imsh we'd known each other via the internet for a while it was the first time we met face to face we met there a year and change ago um, <laughs> yep but i i would tell you i think that is it networking is exactly why i go to conferences right you never know what kind of doors you're open by doing that the people you meet and projects like this grow out of things like imsh or other conferences whether that's sim or clinical or whatever else um, so in my on my side of it, I've had a bit of an interesting you know month as well. I, I packed up my half of the Sim Geeks headquarters and moved it 500 miles north from my previous home in Colorado to a to a new home in Montana. And nothing um, sucks. So, oh God, it was miserable. It sucked. And so we we got all of our <laughs> shit moved up there. It How many storage units do you house. currently have? <laughs> None. I have them all. None. Empty, but the process of moving did require three separate storage units. One yeah. in Colorado because I couldn't fit everything in the damn moving truck. And two in Montana, because even everything in the moving truck wouldn't fit into one storage unit. Uh, And so now everything is in the house. It is not unpacked. It is in boxes. We're slowly going to the room. And then the garage, of course, is full of just everything we own. Um, But we will over the next couple of weeks, hopefully settle in. And it's at this point, we're we're doing the downsizing we should have done before we move. Like, oh, Oh, we really don't need that. Let's get rid of it now. We've got Um, so much time before that happens. Oops. Exactly. So that's kind of what happened. It kind of just jumped on us. Plus, I mean, we're moving at Christmas time, Christmas Eve being the wife's birthday, not a good time to be packing all your shit up. Uh, so I will tell you this, I had a I had a pretty decent interaction recently. I got to meet the Todd Debersini, the guy who wrote the book on special effects makeup. Like literally. Uh, yeah, like I have the book. We'll talk about that some other time too. I uh, He posted up on Instagram, basically said, hey, I've got this old mold from a mask that he made for a photo shoot for Makeup Artist Magazine. Said, I'm going to throw it out if somebody doesn't come pick it up. And and I saw that and I tagged you and I said, go get it. Exactly. And so it took about a week of communicating and for me to find a time to drive down. Uh, He lived about an hour away from my old house in Colorado. And so I was just waiting until I had a, a moment that I had to go to the office and I swung by. I got to tell you, man, this guy is cool as hell. I, and I tried telling you, and I, I am jealous because I have not gotten to meet him yet. So ultimately, fanboy jealous that you get to meet him because he's such a good dude. Couldn't believe it, man. I, so I show up there, and I'm kind of thinking he'll meet me at the door, hand this thing off, and, and send me on my way. Uh, and he was just, he was one of us. He's just down to yeah. earth, hung yeah. out. We talked. Uh, Big nerd. Me, oh, man, he showed me some projects he's working oh. on. Uh, we talked about some potential collaboration stuff in the future. And then, you know, like an hour later, I was talking to you on the phone and I got a text from him via Instagram or some other app. And it was like, hey, man, it was nice to meet you. And you can count on us working together in the future. So I was just blown away that he actually took time out of his day to, to talk to us. He knew who we were. He knew who you were. He actually saw one of your stickers in his basement, which I thought was pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, but 
that interaction, uh, A, cemented to me what I think I already knew is that he's just a, he's just a really cool dude. And, and I'm telling um, you, there are so many people in the makeup effects industry that I've, contact, I've contacted and, and been interacted with and things like that, and that there's going to be more to come on the podcast with it. So I hope you guys are enjoying it. Um, just amazing human beings. I mean, just blows you away that you send a message to Tim Gore, you send a message to Rob Freitas, uh, Stuart Bray. Uh, and if you don't know these, no, these names, believe me, uh, just ask, um, you know, Dan Gilbert of mouth effects, just people like that. And they just respond like, Hey, what's up? What do you need? What can I help you out with? Just amazing. Amazing. So I went over there just to, to pick that up and, and meet the guy, you know, face to face. And I left there completely obsessed with foam latex. And so <laughs> my, my new obsession, my new project, if you will, is I'm going to try and, and branch out from silicone prosthetics and try to build a few uh, foam latex prosthetics at some point in the near future. Unfortunately, now living in Montana, you cannot ship the ingredients in the wintertime because they'll freeze solid. Um, but it, at some point, I, I am going to be in Cleveland here in a few weeks. If I can go pick up the ingredients in person, I may fly home with them. Um, but that is, that's Ooh, my new that. goal. So that's my new goal. When you check that, up. it'll freeze in the, in the air. We'll talk. We'll talk. Because um, one of my good friends um, is Infected Effects. And uh, Jeff is just another awesome, amazing human being. And uh, he's trying to get me over my mental block and fear of foam latex. Because everything I've seen, it's amazing but if you don't paint it right or you don't do this or you don't do that, you can really make it look bad. And, and, you know, I've got some rudimentary skills that, that are in my head, but trying to get them. And I don't know why I'm just terrified of it. So Jeff has been trying to beat me over the head, getting me over my complete fear of it. So maybe you and I together can, uh, you know, work through that because I've got some foam latex pieces from, you know, rubberware and from infected effects that I just need to, I just need to get some paint on and get them applied. We probably should have a whole thing on prosthetics here in the near future anyway, because that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's kind of my other project I've been working on and is actually sculpting wounds, sculpting my own injuries out of clay and then, then turning those into silicone molds we can use over and over and over again, spray latex and then spray silicone, et cetera, and just peel out the, the wound when you need it. Well, latex or silicone, but that, that will be part of that. And, and actually, I've, I've thought about either a whole series of YouTube videos or something like that that's very simple that is just materials. So just one on silicone basics, one on these materials. And then, you know, because there's a lot of people that have some amazing how to sculpt, how to do all of these things out there. Uh, Stuart Bray has a whole video series, and that's how I got into a lot of this stuff is watching his stuff and Freakmo and all that. Uh, but keeping it into the med sim niche is what I will definitely want to do. So, you know, if people are interested in that, interested in, in, you know, you and I doing that, please leave comments. I'm hoping you guys are interacting, leaving comments anyways. Well, there's a ridiculous amount of crossover between monster makeup and yep. what we do in moulage. And I, I, for a, a long time was like, I'm not interested in that junk. I don't really <laughs> care about zombies. I don't care about that. My focus is medicine. My focus is medicine. And in the last year, I've been like, you know what? I can use those techniques that they're teaching. And it's so much easier to find monster makeup, you know, tutorials than it is to find what we need. It's like, I can apply that to what I'm doing. Uh, again, that's, that is a whole episode for another day. But that is something I think we absolutely need to kind of jump into that prosthetic thing. Uh, how, you know, how we're creating them. But not only that, but where are the resources for it? Uh, I know that if people are following us on Instagram, I've thrown a couple book reviews out there. They've been really half-assed, but I will be doing a book review at some point in the future on that special effects makeup once I have a chance to finish reading through all four or 500 pages of it. Yep. 
All right, but let's leave that for the next episode and move on. So, uh, so Will, what are we going to talk about today? So this was supposed to be our immediately following Christmas episode, but we've now <laughs> missed Christmas by a month. Um, and, you know, in our defense, we did try to record this on the 30th of December, and I managed to brick a microphone. So I have a useless microphone. We're now working with new gear. Uh, but that is, that is what happened. It was a whole lot of silence on my end with the last recording we tried to make. Um, but basically what we're looking at is, hey, you got a 3D printer for Christmas, or you just bought a new one, or maybe you want to buy one what now? What are the next steps in buying a printer, selecting a printer, what types are out there? What materials do you need? More importantly than that, why the hell do you need it in the first place? What are we going to be using it for that applies directly to medical simulation, uh, as well as maybe a few fun things we have going on on side projects as well that we've printed in the past. So, uh, I mean, really, that first question is pretty simple. What is 3D printing, David? Well, so 3D printing, uh, there's a lot of different types out there. And in the, uh, you know, starter market to prosumer market to, you know, pro market. Uh, one of the biggest one out there is FDM or fused deep, or, uh, I'm not going to say it right, but basically it's a filament based printer where you take a, it, how I describe it is it's like your inkjet printer and your hot glue gun had a kid. And, and if you think about it, that's really what it is. All it takes is a spool of filament and it heats it up and it goes in a shape that, you know, over and over and over again, that hopefully, you like and that's primarily what we're going to be talking about is the fused depositation uh, modeling you know you're close <laughs> yeah i know I, I there's some words i just can't pronounce right and my brain just goes that's all right so so fdm or fused deposition modeling Thank you. Uh, and, and basically what he said is correct you are you are melting a filament and you are depositing that filament onto in most printers a heated bed some of the cheaper ones do not have that um, but basically, you're, you're laying filament down one layer at a time over and over and over again uh, until you get the model that you're after. Yeah. And then there's the other one that's really been on the kind of higher end market, but they've made some advances in it and it's uh, coming way down in price. And it's SLA. So like I talked to uh, Matt Stiebler and they do some awesome stuff with their video recording systems and they incorporate 3D printing. Um, into the base units for their um, camera systems and they're just doing some awesome stuff at, at an interesting price point and travel and we're going to talk about video recording in another episode too because I'm researching a whole bunch of cheaper ways of doing things um, but it's SLA or MSLA and basically it's a resin based printer so it's a UV cured resin um, Form Labs had the uh, the Form 2, the Form 3, and basically it's it prints upside down of what we're used to with FDM, and it's got a, a vat of resin, and then it uses freaking lasers, UV lasers, to cure specific points of resin on there to build it out. And um, so basically the difference between the two are FDM, you can get – a fairly decent resolution they have steps and there's we'll talk later about you know layer height and all that stuff but uh it's it's still not a finished beautiful smooth product but you can get very very large for a very cheap price point now resin printers are a very much you know like a third the size or smaller print bed but it is ultra high resolution and with this MSLA uh, coming out of the market, you're taking something that was traditionally $2,500, $3,500 on a form printer, and you're uh, bringing it down to, I just got one for Christmas, thank you, my wife, uh, that was 
colors. Um, Anycubic Photon is one of the very, very popular ones. I really love the brand of printers by QIDI. Uh, they call it Cheaty Tech. Um, and so I ended up getting the QIDI. It looks like Iron Man and Jarvis had a child and gave me an awesome printer. So I'm liking the fact that, and, and yes, this means I have four printers now. Um, it's an addiction like many things we do. But it means that if I want something large to get a nice, you know, overall form and size of something, I print it in FDM. If I want to add parts or I want to have things that are smaller but super high resolution. So if I want to print a Craig base trainer, I'm going to use FDM. If I want to print a small figurine with high, you know, you get details to the face or things like that, and I haven't put the MedSim equivalent to that yet, I'm going to use resin. And my whole goal is to meld the two into certain parts. So there are other um, ways of doing printing. There's powder, there's concrete, there's metal. Marked Forge has an awesome one that can print like stainless steel and aluminum and, and all that. But pretty much the two we're going to work on and we're talking about today is FDM and SLA. Because for most of us, unless you're very highly funded and you can have other people advise you, these are the printers you're going to start with. Um, my last job, we wanted to do 3D printing, it just wasn't in the budget, so I ended up buying the printer. So mainly talking about FDMA or FDM. So first off, we're going to go over just brands we like, uh, the cheap, the moderate, the expensive, but I'm going to let Will talk about what he likes. Yeah, so my, you know, I like, so I got, I got my start working with a buddy's printer that he brought into the office, uh, and this has been several years ago now, three-ish three years ago, two, three years ago, uh, and he was using one of the XYZ printers, which we've had this conversation actually in a previous podcast. So I'll kind of jump back from that one. I would not recommend it to, I would not recommend an XYZ printer as, as a purchase, unless you absolutely had to buy a device in that price point, because they will get you back on selling you proprietary filaments. And the build volume is like six inches by six inches. If you're going to do that for the same price, you could end up with one of the newer SLA printers at higher resolution. See, I had a different, um, experience with it is I bought one of the higher end ones. It's mainly because I got an awesome deal on it. I mean, my first printer, I stalked and stalked and stalked and I ended up getting for just an obscenely cheap price. So mine was an open filament from XYZ. So we're not bashing XYZ. The problem I had with it is it was a maintenance. It, it was a prima donna. I had to work with it for 20 to 45 minutes each and every time. And the reason I, I love my Cheaty Tech, uh, which is just a Flash Forge Creator knockoff, uh, it's a Tech One, Cheaty Tech's QIDI's uh, Tech One, is I'm telling you, in the last year, I've leveled the print bed twice, maybe. I just don't have to mess with it. I go in, I print, and I go. But uh, so I, I'm telling you, like, you know, I actually got one of our viewers that texted me and was like, you're talking about this QIDI thing. What, what is it? And uh, Sonia, we love you. But um, so QIDI is a company that basically they just make knockoffs, but they improve upon the design of other printers. And I really, really enjoy it. Like when a FlashForge creator motherboard goes dead, I hear a lot of people just buy a new motherboard from QIDI because it's the same thing. So... Uh, what are some other brands you like out there? So when we're talking about that cheap market, right? Like, Hey, I, I'm, I want to buy a printer. I'm going to use it at home or Hey, like you said, department doesn't have it in the budget. I know I'll use it for personal projects as well. So I'm going to go ahead and fund the money on it. You really can't beat Creality right now. They've mm -hmm. got the Ender three, they've got the Ender five. They have, you know, mine is a CR 10. I have the original CR 10 model. 
It is massive. You cannot find a better build volume to price ratio. You just can't. Yeah, true. Um, my, so my CR10 is now three years and change old, but I've gone through some pretty heavy upgrades on it. I know, David, you got a CR10S. You actually went with the yes. newer and you've had some issues with yours. I think it's all user error. And I, and I really keep going back to the fact that my QIDI runs so, or Tech, whatever you want to call it, runs so dang smart and so nice that I, I put some upgrades on it by an awesome company. They're amazing too. Uh, it's TH3D. And I just haven't put the time in it because when you've got one printer working so darn well, it's hard when you're not getting perfect results out of another one to go back to it. So that's, that's I, I swear, it's just user error. Yeah, and so that was, so the biggest issues I had with the original CR10, I don't think you can buy a CR10 anymore unless you get up off the used market. Um, but my biggest issues for, my biggest issue really is that if you let it run out of filament, you just ruined basically a 24 or 28 hour print and you can't sit there and watch the thing the whole time. Uh, so for I think like 23 bucks, I added a filament run out sensor. So now if it runs to that sensor, it actually pauses the print and I had to reprogram the board to do that. And I put a new roll on, I run that roll in there, printer picks up exactly where I left off. I don't have to worry about those, you know, prints that just halfway done and died. And if you guys haven't seen this, my Instagram has several pictures of failed 3D prints. Um, you know, not everything's a win. You're going to screw some shit up. Uh, so the CR10 between that and then, like you said, not having to do bed leveling is a huge, oh, huge time saver. And so for my CR10, I did upgrade to the Easy Able, um, which is the automatic bed labeling or bed leveling from th3d as well which it so basically got just, that. oh yeah i've had it on the printer for a year and it just and hits the printer like 20 is it, it's nine main points i yep. think and it can, you yep. can make it tighter than that but it's basically it senses nine sections of your print bed and then it mesh levels it tells the print yeah. hey you're and i'm gonna exaggerate you're a half inch lower on the left than you are on the right and the print yep. automatically adjusts to make up for that half inch which is amazing because that's one thing is the the CR10s are awesome. They're a price point you can't beat, but it's just a known thing that their beds are not really, really awesomely flat. So, um, like I said, and, and I'm going to stop all of us right now and put the disclaimer in that we should have put in and I put in everything. By the way, at this point, we're not doing sponsors. We, you know, are not paid by anybody. And even when we are, our opinions and when we get into the podcast itself have nothing to do with sponsors. So when we talk about any of these companies, it's just because we've had good experiences with them. So, okay, I'll get over that now. Um, but yeah, TH3D again, they're, they're, they're amazing. And, and that there's two different sensors out there, but we're not going to go that far in the weeds right now. But yeah, when you're learning, like get your creality and just do it bare bone stock and learn how to print and fail, 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 and learn that way. Then when you get lazy like we did, you buy the fancy toys, so. Well, it's lazy and it's comfortable with knowing that the minute you crack open that machine, you may turn it into a brick. And so you yeah. have to be comfortable with how that machine works. I'm not saying it's hard by any means, no. but you have to know how the thing works before you should try and upgrade something because without understanding the mechanics and the computer behind it, yeah. you really could screw something up. Uh, the other thing too about that, so you mentioned the CR10 has is historically, everyone knows it comes with a glass print bed, that glass print bed. Yeah. A lot of them come out they're warped by the time you get the printer. That's just because of the quality of the glass that's used. Go to Lowe's, buy yourself some 12 inch mirror tiles like people put over their bedroom on the ceiling, right? Mm -hmm. Take those, trash that glass bed that came with your CR10 and use those. Now you have 10 print beds. So you get them on there, you know they're perfectly level because if they weren't, the mirror would immediately show it. 
you print on it, you yank that one off, you throw another one on and you're printing again. And between that and the mesh leveling, I can, I mean, I just run one print after the next. I let them cool. I don't have to worry about it. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> we're gonna, right. we're gonna, we're gonna go back. We're just talking about the brands of printers because now you're into you're getting into yep. weeds. All right. right, so the you know going so that's all our base level printers. The Creality, the Quiddy, the, is it QIDI? Is it Quiddy? How the hell do you say so, it? So I've heard on some of the YouTubers they say it's it's officially called Cheaty Tech. Cheaty. I look at it as an American, uh, you know, a, a, an American I just so it's QIDI. So it's those are the names to me are synonymous. Uh, I just call it QIDI because it makes sense in my brain. And I think the entry level for that, the, basically your tech one is somewhere in the $600 range, right? Yeah, it used to be a thousand. Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't pay that much for it. Exactly. I'm, so I'm frugal as hell. Just to kind of give you guys some ideas. So the Ender 3, the Creality, the smaller of the Creality, it's basically the CR10's little brother. Uh, is right around 175 to 200 bucks. The CR10 is somewhere in the four to 450, 500 range, depending on what features you get. And then, like you said, the the Flash Forge knockoff, the Tech One, sits right at around that 600 mark. So that's your entry level printers, uh, low level. When we start getting the more moderate printers, then the price continues to go up. So there there are higher level Creality printers, there are higher level QIDI. Then you get into Prusa. There are other brands that you can get into somewhere closer to that thousand dollar range. And then we go on from there. And exactly. I'm telling you, uh, there there are two pr- printers I really want. I know we've talked about Todd Debrasini. His favorite's the Little Spot Taz 6. And then they've got the Little Spot Taz 6 Pro, and they're researching some crazy technology past that. Then Rick Baker, uh, if you don't know who he is, you probably haven't seen a horror movie from the 80s or 90s or even 2000s. Um, but he has got a Raise 3D, and oh, my God look so nice but again we're in the 3500 and up market uh so we're definitely in the expensive uh but but they're so nice and then you've got a couple too yeah so you've talked about some of the pro ones that you like yeah absolutely so i'm a big fan of the form lab the form three uh, and we will talk about that later when we kind of get to our dream machine ideas. But my my real reason for this it's around 3500 to 4000 dollars and the and it is SLA kind of, it's their version of SLA. And so what you're looking at then is the resins too are very, very expensive, 175 a liter, somewhere in there. But the reason they're so expensive is bioelastic. You're able to print actual arteries and veins and little heart, you know, basically everything is squishy and works. That is kind of my dream as far as medical simulation. That's what I want to be able to do with a printer. But at $4,000, A, it's not coming to my house and I'm not yet been able to get the company to jump on board for it. Eh, yet and then there's way way more expensive and we'll talk touch on those a little bit mainly we're trying to you know talk about things that are obtainable by us depending on your level of finances and crazy that you have so um yeah and most of these like you're talking about so most of us are looking at this from a budget line basically working in a, in a sim center uh in my in my job i actually write my budget annually and so i do write these things in but as most of you know just because it's on the budget doesn't mean you're actually going to purchase it uh, and even then, $4,000 for a lot of larger companies and universities, that's a, that's a drop in the hat, right? But the rest of us, you know, when we're looking at this, as like Dave said, he went out and bought his printer, $4,000 is, is a shitload of money. And so it's all relative to what your budget and where you're at. Uh, and that's kind of why we we're kind of looking to break it down. These are the three tiers, if you will. And then later, we'll talk about things that are in the three fifty, $400,000 range. And really, in the lower end, it's the print bed size 
is the rate limiting step on the cost. I mean, you know, your your the basic ones are very very small print sizes, and as you step up, you step up in cost, and then you step up in features and toys and run out sensors and all these fancy you know bed leveling and stuff we've talked about. We're going to talk about more later. Yeah. And then so support where where do people where do people are? So here's the deal, man. With all of these machines, no matter what you buy, there is a fan group out there somewhere, whether it's Reddit or Facebook, or there's a forum specific from the manufacturer. These, these people are your support system. If you've got a CR10, there is a huge CR10 Facebook group. And I'm not on Facebook, but there's also a CR10 group on Reddit. There's a 3D printing community on Reddit. There's actually a, a functional 3D printing group on Reddit. There's so many different areas that you can go um, and then, like I said, Cura has a forum or Ultimaker, sorry, the people that make the Cura software. All those forums allow you to go in and say, hey, this is the machine I have. This is the issue I'm having. And some of them are specific to their own brand. Other ones are just kind of generic. That is who you go to primarily because a lot of these printers are made overseas where the instructions may not even come in English. Uh, my CR10, <laughs> the instructions showed up. They are completely written in Chinese and it's pictures. The first time I put that thing together, I just got on YouTube, typed in CR10, and some guy was putting it together and I spent 20 minutes watching a YouTube video and then I just kind of put it together. Now I tear the thing down and put it up all the time. Um, but with that whole kind of group of fans, people get excited. They want to show off what they have. They want to show off what they're doing. And that becomes this like you know, basically endless tech support, not of somebody who's being paid to answer your questions, but other guys like us that just have experience with it. So uh, we're going to get into talking about software of printer. So we, we talked about slicing software. Why do I care about that? Well, you hear that word slicing software. And uh, what that does is there's lots of different out there. There's, there's cheap, there's free, there's, you know, you spend it, money on it and all that. But basically you take a 3D file of an image. And like we said, this is a hot glue gun and an inkjet printer had a kid because we're primarily talking about FDM today. And um, what it has to do is slice it up depending on how high you want to make each layer. That's called the layer height or how much you know uh, filament you're extruding onto the print bed at one time. And so the slicing software just has to go through and basically map out the path of all of those little tiny pathways of filament that's laying down. Um, so that is what slicing software is. Uh, you know, it, it's a fancy term for a very easy software that uh, hopefully will keep you out of trouble. And then so like what software came with your CR10? Uh, actually, I have no clue because I immediately went online <laughs> and said, all right, what's the best slicer that I can download um, without having to pay for it? You know, so your first day out, you're like, I just need something quick. What I'm gonna do it. And I landed with Ultimaker Cura, uh, which has now gone through several updates in the last few years. Um, but I started using so Cura. So it's, it's Ultimaker is a brand of company yep. that, or it's a company that makes 3D printers and their software pack they release with their printers is called Cura, but they also make that software open source to work with way more than just the Ultimaker brand of printers. So I just want to get that out there. Yes. And so Cura, honestly, it's a hundred percent free. It's open source. And I am yet to find a print that I couldn't handle what I needed to do in it. It is everything from beginner friendly that never sliced a print before all the way up to expert settings. You can go in and change things. If you go to dual extrusion, um, which is, I'm actually looking at upgrading my CR10 to dual extrusion. What is that? So basically the ability to print in two separate elements into one model. So as I'm printing and let's just very simple. I want 
the same plastic, but I want it in two different colors. So I'm going to print a black and white zebra. I can print black and white out of the same printer into the same model at one time. Uh, and there's a lot of ways to accomplish that, but it does require two motors and two nozzles, et cetera. Uh, and so if I want to do that, Cura lets me do it. Whereas some slicers are only capable of doing the single extrusion. Um, and we'll get into the more complicated sides of the dual, dual extruder, but yeah, that's, that's the basic of it is, you know, you can do two things. Yep. And then, so after that, when and I was, and I'm telling you, it used to be super difficult with the earlier softwares and you'd have to, Oh my God, I don't even want to get into what it is. Cause we're not there yet or we don't need to go there. That was the dark times. And it's so much easier now to print the things like you just said. Yeah. And then matter control is another one I really like, but I even find myself, I'll bring a file into matter control because it has a, it actually has like a CAD system in it. What's and I matter? will, it's What's just another, control? it's just another slicing program, another free one you can download off the internet that you get from I think matter it's, hackers. Yeah. Matter think, hackers, isn't that matter yeah. hackers? Yeah. I think it is, yep. So matter hackers is another company that uh, I, I'm trying to think they don't actually make printers. I think they are. I'm trying to remember. I lack of research, but uh, no matter matter hackers is a great resource to learn. They sell printers. They, uh, they do a whole lot of things to help the uh, community and they're, they're amazing resource. So the nice thing about their slicer is it actually has like a little CAD system in it. And so if I, but I do find that I, even if I'm going to use that to modify a file, so let's say, let's say I have a, a CT of the chest and I want to knock the spine out of it and just print the ribs. I can go in there and I can delete sections of the print, but I still find myself taking that file, saving it to my computer, bring, opening it in Cura and slicing it there. Nice. Um, and I just like the slide, the way that Cura is set up a little bit better. That's what you like. The nice thing to. about these, they're free. So again, you're not going out and spending money on something just to find out, hey, I don't really like it, et cetera. Um, so I'm all about free software when we can use it. In fact, we have a podcast lined up that's just all about free software we use anyway. And so this just adds to my list of stuff. Uh, and then of course, after that, and I, I don't know, do you have Simplify 3D? Oh yes, that's what I was going to go into next. So the next one is a paid one. It is $150. Um, I have... I was kind of talked into it early on in my printing career, and I will say I love it. It is you want to talk about full control, um, and, and we're not getting into the weeds of why you want full control yet. But it's simple things like I can say that if you're talking about a figurine, you're printing of a guy's arm. Well, that guy's arm doesn't touch the print bed, so you have to have what's called supports, and basically it just makes you know little pillars of of material to start touching you know so that it lays a surface a substrate so that when it starts printing the person's arm it's not printing it in space because if it were to print it in space it would just drop to the print bed and you'd have nothing well i can control the amount or the consistency of the the um uh, support structures i can control the temperature as it prints it could be one temperature on the print bed and as you get higher it can be another temperature reasons being is if you get to fine details you actually want to print in cooler temperatures or it'll just go on the top of it and that's a technical term i don't expect you're familiar with that um i like simplify 3d it, it works with tons of printers it gives you full control um and it's a great thing but again not necessary but you can check it out and see what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so are we even going to talk about Octoprint and Astoprint? I will just because it's it's like a huge nerd thing for me, right? Yeah, so and you love it. I do. I, so I have, Octoprint is 
a Raspberry Pi based um, basically print server where you have the ability to monitor your prints from anywhere. You actually just go to a, like an IP address, your Raspberry Pi is hooked up to your printer and there's a camera on it and you can watch and you can, I mean, you can even do the, the slow-mo videos or the time-lapse videos with it. Um, but the important part for me, and I use AstroPrint because I like the interface a little bit. AstroPrint's built on OctoPrint, same concept. Uh, there's actually an app on my phone right now. Granted, my printer's in a box from the move, but I can pull up my app on my phone and I can look in on my printer from anywhere that I travel in the country. And I can send, I can slice a print on my phone. I can send it to my printer from my phone. I can send it from Atlanta to, to Montana, no problem. And then just to make sure things are going well, I can check in on it every couple hours, just pull it up, look, and like there it is scanning back and forth in the camera and I'm actually able to see. And if it terminates or it screws up, I don't have to wait and let it spit spaghetti for an hour and shoot. Wait, wait, you don't like spaghetti? You no. don't like bird nests? No, man. I've, I've had like... a few of those. Oh, we all have. And, and, and so I can and... terminate it. I just say, hey, you know what? I look in my printers, you know, Stop. like, oh, look, it fucked a print. Okay, cool. Let's kill it. And I can kill it from anywhere, which is a huge benefit yeah. when I travel all the time. And I do prints that are routinely 28, 36 hours. That's my ability to not spend 36 hours of filament all over my desk in my garage. And the, the biggest thing I want to express is inexpensive, fairly easy to make especially if you keep it simple, stupid, because when I messed with Octoprint, I had a unit and I printed the case for it and I printed the Raspberry Pi and I put a camera in it. I had an old web camera. They worked with so many different web cameras and I had it working great and it worked great. And then I saw at a store, one with a touch screen and I said, well, I want a touch screen. And the minute I started messing with that, I never went back to it because all I got was troubles and I should have just left well enough alone. So when you got something working right, don't mess with it. But it is great. And that's the thing is inexpensive, easy to set up so that you can have remote monitoring for your printer. And some of the high-end printers have all this built in. But again, we're talking the lower end, the more realistic, you know, SimTech price budget. Yeah. And if you're not sure what a Raspberry Pi computer is, it is a $35 computer board that you can hook a monitor, a keyboard, and a mouse up to, and you have a desktop for 35 bucks. It's ridiculous. And so these work as great little servers because they don't have to have the monitor and keyboard hooked up to them. So my Raspberry Pi that is my AstroPrint system is an app, it's plugged into the wall. It uses a standard mini USB or micro USB phone charger basically. It's plugged into the wall, it's plugged into my printer and it's plugged into a camera and it runs itself. I don't even have a, a monitor or anything hooked up to it. I just run it from my phone. So that is, that's really nice. You, you know, you mentioned you, you messed with your Octoprinter. I struggled with Octoprint as it sits. And so I eventually gave up, went to Astroprint and I never looked back because the first nice. time I turned it on, it worked. Nice. Octoprint is great. I think it's amazing software. I think it's a, it's a fantastic system, but I just had so many headaches from it. And Astroprint <laughs> is the exact same thing. It's free and it's a graphical interface, which most people yeah. are used to in graphical interface software and not looking at a terminal. Uh, I'm plenty comfortable typing stuff in a terminal, but the 37th time I've had to type the same shit in, I get pissed and I go somewhere else. Yeah. You coders out there. I love you because I can't do it. All right. So, uh, you know, we kind of talked a little bit of this earlier, but let's jump back into, so bed leveling. So what exactly is bed leveling and why would I spend the extra money on an auto leveled printer? Is it even necessary or is it something like you or I did? It's like, you know what? We'll add it later. Cause I really don't need it right now. So it comes down to first, layer stick and this is going to be the bane of your existence and getting the first layer or first couple layers of material to stick to your print bed using different materials different things like that this is going to be you're going to try to get very creative 
you're going to try to use very advanced things. And then uh, Will and I have had lots of conversations about this. Sometimes you just drop back and punt with, I use so much blue painter's tape on my bed and I use glue stick. And I'm telling you, there are some diehard printers. And I know right now there's somebody out there going, no, don't. There's so many easier things. Yeah. And I've tried some of them and I will call it my fault. And I've been unsuccessful. And when I just want the darn thing to print every time, I use it. And I've got some other things I've tried and I've been successful with, but I'm saying that is the consistent thing is um, to get it to stick. But if you don't have your bed level, it doesn't matter how much adhesion you have on the bed, how many, how much, you know, great surface that it's ready to take and stick to it. You know, your printer's not smart. It has no intelligence. There's, you know, unless you get these fancy things, most printers don't have auto bed leveling or dynamic bed leveling or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't move. It works on one plane and that's it. So if either A, you have one edge of your bed dip just a little bit or two, you have a dip in your bed because you have a creality and the metal um, print bed has a dip in the center of it, um, you're going to get it where it's not going to stick you're going to have parts of it not stick and you're either going to get a failed print or you're never going to get off, get off the ground with printing. Um, so it's, it's, it's important. Learn how to do it. There's plenty of YouTube videos out there, but it is, it really is like the old adage of you can't build a house without a good foundation. Um, so yeah, there's manual bed leveling and there's auto bed leveling. My first printer had an auto bed leveling sensor on it and it sounded so awesome and it stunk. So I went back to manual bed leveling. That's the only way I could get some good prints out of that first printer. Um, you know, so learn how to manually level your bed and then get spoiled. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, just to give you guys an idea what that looks like, if you have a manual bed level, basically each of the four corners is going to have a set screw is really what it is. It's just, you twist the screw, it lifts that corner up, it lowers back down. There's a spring in there. And ideally what you're looking to do is you want the nozzle on that printer to be just high enough off the bed that you can gently slide a piece of copy paper underneath it and you'll get some traction, but it should not grab the paper and it shouldn't slide right through without touching either. Here's the funny thing. You'll level all four points and you'll go back to the first one and it'll be off and you'll have to start all over again. And so it takes a lot of, a lot of patience to get that going. But you're learning. Exactly. And so it's, it's that getting started of like, all right, what's going on here? What do I need to level it? And eventually, as I mentioned earlier, you may realize that whatever bed surface your printer came with, whether that was a sheet of glass or sheet of it may be warped. So you've been doing all this work and you're pulling your hair out. And you don't know what the hell the problem is. And it's not your fault at all. It's just that you had a shitty surface. Um, and that, again, I talked a little bit, you can, you can go buy new surfaces. You can go buy 12 inch glass tiles. If you have a CR 10, it's a 12 by 12 print bed. Um, if you have a smaller one, you're looking for small, basically a smaller surface, or we mentioned a few other companies, you can get online and search and order new print surfaces that may be a flexi aluminum with a coating on it that'll help you stick. Uh, David mentioned painter's tape. I can't stand tape on the bed. <laughs> I can't do it. Every time I have printed, and, and I, I was using masking tape, right? Because that's what they recommend. Yeah. yeah. Every time I've printed, I could not peel that shit off. I could I <laughs> stand it off the print. Um, because the print would fuse to the tape on the bed. And so when I would go to peel the print off, it'd bring all the damn tape with it. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. for me, 
white trash hairspray. That is yep. all I use on the bed. Aquanet. Is is that a brand name? White no, trash but it hairspray. Should be. It, it is the <laughs> shit that your mom used in the eighties to make her hair stand up like a. Hey, 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 hey! <laughs> You're talking about my my. Uh, you know, I'm an eighties kid. That's right. And so that, that born in the seventies, not just born. You know what in the I'm 80s. talking about? The blonde oh, ladies with the big beehive. You know, the, the faucet. So that shitty hairspray that's a dollar for that, like, I swear to God, it's a liter can. That's <laughs> what I use on the bed all the time. And then glue sticks. I actually really enjoy the glue stick as well. So whatever I have handy, I'll use. But I burned through so many glue sticks that it was cheaper to switch over and just use Aquanet all the time. See, I love the Elmer's that is purple. And when it dries, it goes clear. So you know it's dry. You know it's ready. Because I'm always impatient. I never prep it ahead of time. You know, I'm always like, oh, dang it. I'm ready to print. And I got to put that on the bed. So, yeah, I love the Elmer's brand purple to, to clear stuff like that so and that's uh, usually what's in my toolbox as well the only thing i will say about the if you're going to use glue sticks um, or hairspray or anything really wait until your printer is almost at bed temp before you spray it on there because as it yeah. heats up it basically dries and isn't sticky anymore so if yeah. you're if you're heating to a 60 degree bed and you're in a garage in colorado and you spray that on at nine degrees celsius and you're waiting and you're waiting it's better just to wait till you're at that like 58 59 mark you don't want to hit 60 or the print will start and so you hit that 58 degrees, you know, you still have about two minutes. That's when you apply the glue stick, hit it with hairspray, et cetera. And I think it should be fair to say is you're talking about bed temperatures. Every bed temperature relies on what material you're printing with. So you're talking about the, the number one thing you and I print with, which is PLA, because it's cheap, it's readily available, it's easy. So that is your bed temperature for that. But we're going to go into that. Um, it's also fair, since we're talking about bed leveling, bed surfaces, bed adhesion, to talk about there's other advanced surfaces, like you said. There's spring form, where you can actually you know, clip it to your bed, and at the end of your print, all you do is peel it off, you peel the spring steel right off, and it just pops off. It's great. The other thing is there's advanced glues specific for 3D printing that are supposed to be awesome. I'm just a cheap son of a gun, and I won't buy them. But I talked about supports a little bit. I think we've done the bed stuff uh, to bed right now. We're going to put the bed stuff to bed right now unless we get comments and things like that. And we'll, we'll interact with you guys on any of the social media we go on. But I talked about supports a little bit. So why, why don't you fill in more about the uh, supports and lead us into infill? All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you kind of mentioned supports. There's several types, right? So they're... When you're setting up your print to slice, it's going to ask, do you want support for this print? And if your print doesn't have anything over a 50 degree overhang, then my answer is normally no. Um, but if you've got a, a, a big overhang on your print, you mentioned an arm. That's a great example. Yeah. We're, we're going to use a support. And then you have a couple options. You have a couple choices. Do we want the prints to only touch the build plate or yeah. do we want anything overhanging to have a support? In which case... Uh, you're going to have support printed on your print holding up pieces above it. And it really just depends on how much overhang you have if you're worried about it collapsing, uh, that that comes into play. And then lastly, one other thing that's really neat is tree supports. And if you haven't had a chance to see this yet, tree supports are basically a, yeah, it's a more advanced feature. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm getting the signal. No, 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 no. It's, it's <laughs> basically so, so traditional supports are vertical poles. Yep. I'm thinking where you're going is tree supports are like tree branches so that you don't have to use as much, right? Yeah. So basically it, it tree supports will print from the bed, but they won't necessarily print straight. They almost look like, like roots or branches and they'll spile around your print and they'll, they'll hold pieces up, which is really nice. And what's really nice about them isn't how cool they look. It's how easy they come off the print when you're done, you just nice. break them right off. And so I have taken to using this a lot. The Craig trainer I print the most has a perfect tunnel down the middle of it 
in yep. that print, I have a 90 degree overhang over a piece of the print already. And so I have to use, um, I have to use the supports that print on the print. And then I just take a screwdriver and I knock those prints out from the inside of what would be the trachea, right? Um, but when I can, I use tree supports and then I just reach up, pop them right off. They come off really easily. Uh, and then we talked about dual extrusion earlier. The huge benefit to having a dual extruding printer right here is the ability to say, you know what? I don't mind that my print is entirely done in blue PLA or blue ABS, but I want the supports to have zero sign that they were ever there in the first place. I don't want to sand it off. And you just take it and you print it with basically a dissolving filament, you throw it in a tank of hot water and a half hour later you come back and that second extruder, they printed all your supports, it's just dissolved away. You have nothing to worry about. So water soluble filament would be the selection. So there's area. water soluble and then there is the Delemon, which is the, when you have the orange oil cleaners, it is the orange concentrate. Um, and for some reason, the names of both of these are, are escaping me. Um, but have you messed with any dissolvable uh, filaments? No, so not yet. That's one of my big pushes right now. I, I won't say I haven't messed with them. I've seen them, I've been around them, and I've, and I've had that chance, but I haven't printed them. Um, that is my big push to make my machine dual extrusion is be able to do dissolvable prints or, and just basically throw it in a hot water tank, get the next print started, come back later, pick it up, and I just have the print that I want. But I haven't spent a half hour clipping stuff off of it. The biggest thing for me is I've had a spool of that and I've got a, a specific thing I want to use with this dissolvable material, which is not a support system, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But yes, uh, my Cheaty Tech or QIDI uh, has dual extrusion and I have the ability to print dissolvable supports, whether that be water or something else like that. And that's, uh, that is a neat feature. And there's the other thing is you just want to look at the cost of that because it is more expensive than your standard filaments. So to me, I am a cheapskate, brokeskate, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I, I look at the cost prohibitive, you know, I'll put in a little more work if I don't have to pay, you know, an extra $5 or something. All right. So we've got our, we got our print. We know we're going to build something, whatever it is. Let's say, let's, what the hell we're, we're going to print a stormtrooper helmet, right? Just for fun. We're going to set something up there. And we all want to print one exactly. or we all want to print a Mandalorian helmet. Yeah. Either do or you're lying about it. Oh all Yeah. Right. And so, we, we, could t we could talk all night about some awesome people doing that stuff, but no, no, no. So, so basically, I'm, I'm going to print this helmet. The helmet has overlapping sections that otherwise would be unsupported. So we're going to use the supports. But then the next question is, how much infill do I want to use? And there's a couple of ways to look what, at this. What, what is infill? That's, that's where I'm going. So ah. when we're talking about infill, basically when I'm printing a solid part, I need to know how much of that print is truly going to be solid. So is it going to be... Once the shell is printed on the outside, is it completely hollow? Is it 50% filled in, i.e. infill? Is it 100%, which would be a brick? Um, and, and that is going to increase the weight of your print. It's going to make the print stronger or weaker, depending on what you're going to do it. But it also is going to determine how much filament you waste on a print or use on a print based on what your needs are. And so, oh, and it's going to take a hell of a lot more time. Oh, forever, 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 forever. <laughs> so, that's, so all and of those things play into it. But really, most of what we're doing in healthcare simulation isn't seeing a lot of torque. And so something as low as 20 to 30% infill is usually the max that I'll use. Um, and I'll tell you, I actually printed uh, AR-15 vice blocks for a buddy that is a, um, he's a sheriff's deputy. And even that vice block, I printed at 30%. Those things are cranked on and not one of them has been broken yet. So... One thing I want to talk about real quick is infill to me is when you look at a building, an old, old building that is being 
renovated and they put up scaffolding, think of it as internal scaffolding to make sure you, you increase the strength and the rigidity. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is I have seen a couple of videos that were very intriguing that are saying most of the time you can increase your wall thickness to four and totally have no, little to no infill. And I'm telling you, over the years of printing now, I've gone to 10% infill if I do at all. So you're saying you'll go down to 20. I'm going down to 10. So and, you know, the humeral thickness. head... Just, just to kind of clear up, so yep. wall thickness is basically the shelf strength, the outer, outermost wall of your print. Um, or if, you're, if your print has a hollow section in the middle, like a tunnel through it, that shell around that would also be considered wall. So anything that is exterior of your print that you can touch, poke, see, et cetera, that is all wall. And depending on how thick you set your wall thickness, how strong that shell becomes, then you can decrease your infill, which is what David's talking about. Yep. And that's the thing. So it's your internal structure and support to make these things strong. And like he said, uh, a lot of times you don't need as much as you think. So, and when we say wall thickness, was we may, mainly mean as it's pouring filament down, how many of those passes of filament that it needs on each wall. So a lot of prints, it's like the two to three range. And people are saying, if you just add four, um, you need to actually increase less or, or decrease the amount of infill you need, which again, decreases the amount of filament you're going to print and the time. A lot of it comes down to time. Um, yeah. All right. So the next is layer height. So consider layer height. Anytime we're talking about 3D printing, that's your resolution. Speaking of time. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're talking about a layer height, anytime I am going to print an object, I need to determine how high a quality do I need that object to be? And this really is one of those places, as Dave said, you can save a lot of time, you can spend a lot of time, and all it's gonna do is make the outer surface, really the layers that are being laid down, smoother or rougher is probably the best way to describe it. And so draft versus production comes into play here. If I'm doing a prototype of something, I want it to print as fast as I can, yank it off the bed, play with it, photograph it, et cetera, see if it fits what I'm trying to do with it before I make 47 of them, I'm going to go closer to the draft range. And so that for me is just about everything's 0.2 millimeters at this point. Right. Um, however, you can go down and some of these printers can go all the way down to like 0.05 and 0.1. Uh, and so really it's just how high quality do you want the outside of that to look? And don't forget, even in a lower resolution print, you can sand that surface and get some of those ridges to go away. So that's just more post-production. Um, and there's coatings and things like that that we haven't even talked about. Exactly. So you can do a lot to fill in those little tiny ridges. And if you've seen a 3D printed object up close, you really got to look at it. You will notice every layer creates a line. I mean, you're effectively just depositing you know, filament every time you make a layer. The best thing I've noticed is ever since I've started to 3D print, I either walk around IMSH or I just look at the mannequins we deal with and I look at things in a certain light. I'm like, <laughs> they 3D printed that part, which is awesome. I'm not being snarky about it. I'm just saying it's neat to be able to recognize that and go, ha, ah, that's what they that's what they did. So speed is the major major advantage here. I did say, like, hey, if I'm trying to print something off real quick, I want to look at it. I'm gonna lower, I'm gonna you know basically lower the resolution. Uh, think about it this way. If I'm at a point one. A resolution or a 0.1 layer height and I go to point 0.2, I've just cut my print speed in half. I mean, effectively, I earn my print time in half because I'm not having to make twice as many. I'm making half as many layers. Um, with that, though, again, 
it's not really a strength thing as much as a pretty thing. You're going to lose that layer height. It's not really a production quality product, the lower you make it, but it will print faster. You can look at it, you can test fit it and then go back and make sure that it fits and print whatever you want. And the biggest thing I can say about this is on a very large, large scale to visualize it is right now, close your eyes, think of the pyramids. And what you're thinking of is these smooth-sided pyramids. Now, if you go back to, and I love history, but if you go back to the earliest, earliest pyramids, all of their smoothness has been knocked off, and it's very stair-stepped. If you lower the resolution, you're increasing the stair steps on your print. And that's all it is. So like you said, it's, it's very visual. It's very the pretty factor, um, which is more important to us than we want to admit. But a lot of times you have to cut and go, but it's, it's just the stair stepping because again, it's, it's printing in passes of filament. All right. So we, we've actually had this next conversation already, but <laughs> you got a new printer. <laughs> you're, you're wanting to go out and print something right away. You don't really want to spend eight days in CAD developing it. You just want to pull down a file for something fun, whatever that is. Where do we go? Where, where, what websites? Where, who do I ask? Where do I get files that I can just plug into my printer on an SD card and I'm off and going in an hour after I open the box? And the number one is Thingiverse. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you talk to people that print, you know, again, I am definitely in that hole. I am not a 3D designer yet. It's all about investing the time. But I cannot tell you how much great things the junk and there's good med sim you know humeral heads for humeral head ios uh the craig trainers that you and i both use uh and i see a lot of people modify off and things like that go off thingiverse and uh, it's just thing i verse.com uh it's all free they they want you to tip your designers and it's a good thing it's a good karma thing come on somebody put some good time in there and they put the effort to, to do the work for you to make it easy on you but at the end of the day, it is all free. Um, I do urge you to pay and, and you know tip them, but it is it's all free. Uh, you can download files, you can print them, everything from you know things from the movie Aliens. I'm a fan uh, to like I said, all the MedSim stuff. Um, another one that uh, I was told uh, from uh, the head of St. Luke's, Megan, is uh, 3D print nih.gov so it's a military or i'm sorry it's a governmental uh, federal united states federal website that has um some really good medical um things that have been taken from cd scan or ct scans and things like that and it's ready to be printed on our printers because when you have a DICOM, it's not ready to 3d print you have to do some conversions and there's plenty of resources out there that'll teach you how to do it but uh, there's a lot of good references of hearts and brains and, you know, surgical step ups and, and, you know, setups and things like that. Um, and then another one that uh, Megan showed me was embody 3d. So I think you were familiar with that one. I was not, that was kind of a new one on me. Yeah. So I, I think we talked about this in a previous episode as well, but embody 3d is it, it's a medical community. It's, it's mostly CT and MRI scans that have been released as STL files, which we then can take and turn into whatever we need them to be basically and slice them for printing. There, there's some really cool stuff on there. Some of it is paid. A lot of it is free. Even for the free content, you do have to create a free account. Um, but most of the, most of the free content is something we can put to use. Some of them are a few bucks here or there, nine or $10. It just depends on what you're looking for. Um, but my initial chest tube trainer 
I actually pulled the CT scan of a chest off of Embody 3D, realized that I wasn't going to be able to use it long term because of the fact that the cartilage doesn't show up in the file. So the yeah. you know, rib cage wasn't connected. Uh, and then I went back and, re and designed my own chest or my own rib cage because of it. Um, but Embody 3D got me started in that, gave me the ideas, and, and you know, basically gives you the ability to grab a 3D model of anything anatomical, even animals. There's a lot of animal stuff on there. And put it into a slicer where I can then flip it 360 degrees like a sphere and look at it from any direction I need to. So even if you can't print the file as is, a lot of times that's the anatomical model you need to build off of. And I like how you brought up the cartilage thing because I will say that uh, the, um, the Vortex approach is Craig Trainer that I like a lot that I can find on Thingiverse. If you just search Craig Trainer, you'll probably be pulling up the Vortex approaches one, and that's a set of education. Um, the name escapes me right now, but uh, you know, thank you guys for designing a great Craig Trainer. It's funny though because if you notice, there's a a triangle shape that I hear a lot of people say, "Well, that's what you're supposed to Craig." Well, actually, that's not supposed to be open like that. It's just the CT scan didn't fill in the cartilage like you said so you're actually supposed to you know hit the cricoid which is lower than that and it's funny because i've i fell into that pitfall when i first downloaded it and then um so i modified it and blocked that out i've actually got a couple tweaks on their file that i i, I just keep for myself and it works great um so the next one i want to talk about is an ims imsh find so um i was out in front of the uh the hall and um still Still, you know, my wife had just flown away and I was just kind of getting my IMSH brain on. And um, a friend of mine from uh, St. Luke's came out and she was like, you've got to see these guys. Um, they're, it's, they're from Newfoundland and they're called PolyUnity and it's all conventional spelling. They're getting their feel of things. They're just starting up. So if you search on the website, there's not a whole lot there. Uh, and what is there, they say that, you know, that they do have things they are going to sell. But in talking about this, it's, it's basically a whole bunch of med school graduates that kind of got together and their intent is to make the thingiverse for MedSim. Uh, at least that's what they were expressing to me. Um, I'm interested to see them grow and see how you know, they approach things as they go. But they said that is one of their goals is to get a lot of the designers and, and the sim techs and things like that together and share their files for free. Um, I'm hoping to uh, create some very interesting things for the new year. So we'll be looking at those if I can get my time. But PolyUnity is definitely uh, worth watching them grow and see where they go. Um, and then you've got a couple others here. Yeah, so I put, I put my mini factory on here. Uh, aside from the medical stuff, right, the printers do get used for a lot of fun side gaming projects, et cetera. And so my mini factory has everything. They've got little trinkets and objects and, you know, paperweights, things you put on your desk. They've got gaming characters and, and terrain if you want to do tabletop gaming or board gaming. So it's just a lot of fun stuff. It does tend to be pay to play. And so you find a model you like, you pay four or five dollars for the file, maybe 10 or 12, depending on how detailed the file is. And then you print it as many times as you want, paint it, do whatever you're going to do with it. Um, you know, there's always, you know, there's always the ability to make your own. So I know this just seems really daunting when you're first starting out. Um, but there are plenty of free CAD systems out there. Tinkercad is one of them. Uh, Tinkercad is a wonderful source to start with free and super stupid easy. It's like your Tinker blocks, you know, your building block version of, and you can do some really amazing stuff with that program. It is very limited, but again, it is your starter. That is your, your, you know, gateway drug. 
And then the last one here, I just, Yegi is a website that I just can't stand. So Yegi is basically <laughs> a search engine that is a 3D model search engine. You go there, it looks cool. You type in what you're looking for and it will pull every, from all the websites we just mentioned, it'll pull up everything that fits your description. But all it does is just link you back to one of the other websites. Uh, and then of course, usually it links you to one that's trying to make you pay for something. And so try Thingiverse first. A lot of what you find elsewhere has already been done for free on Thingiverse. Uh, but so, I mean, I, I mention it just because it is one that comes up if you Google 3D printing files, but I just can't stand it. It's not a, it's not a website. I've tried a few times. I've tried to like it and it's just, it's clickbait. It's one page after the next. It shows like nine things at a time. So you have to click a hundred times to get through it. It's just not worth it. I had never even heard of it. Yeah. So um, once you, once you get that model, those, right, we, we've gone to Thingiverse. I found my correct trainer. The last decision, maybe not the last decision, but the biggest decision I now have to make is what is the appropriate filament? to print this model in. What am I going to use? What is going to put up with the abuse? Maybe it needs to be flexible, et cetera. And so, you know, let's just jump into that. So the first thing that most of us are going to use, probably all of us, if we're doing filament printing. And should use. And should use is PLA. So PLA is extremely forgiving. It's very rigid though. It is a hard plastic. It's perfect because it's cheap and it's strong and it does exactly what we need it to do. Uh, I personally, I buy Inland PLA from Micro Center. It's 15 Same. bucks for a kilogram. It's super cheap and I can burn through it as much as I want and not even be worried about it. So I, I really like Inland products. They make ABS, they make PETG as well. And their prices are completely unbeatable. I have put probably 50 kilograms of these spools through my machine and I've never once had a major issue except for the glow in the dark, which Dave and I've been back and forth on. <laughs> the glow in the dark filament eats nozzles. There is something abrasive about it. I, I can put a brand new nozzle in my machine and by the time I've completed one print, the print quality is shit and the nozzle is destroyed. Um, but other than that, I get hundreds of hours out of a nozzle if I'm not using that one. So avoid the, avoid the glow in the dark material. Something about it being glow in the dark makes it abrasive. I don't know what that is, but all of the other colors are great and they're super cheap. And as you get fancy with your filaments, they'll have different additives and those additives will have different, different effects on your nozzle. And the thing about nozzles are when you're having problem, nozzles are cheap, especially if you buy them, you know, super cheap off Amazon. I buy a bunch of them and that is one of the first things I, if I'm having print problems, like quality problems, that's what I go to swap it. It's easier for a couple of bucks to swap a nozzle. Um, the next filament I want to talk about is ABS. And that's well, the reason I, I charmed in or chimed in on there on the PLA and said you should be using PLA first is because ABS is the first one I tried. And I, I have a tendency of just going in the wrong way on things. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start with ABS. And the beauty of ABS is it's very flexible. Um, when you're post-processing it, it's super easy to sand. PLA is very hard to sand and you're going to put 10 times as much work post-processing and fixing it and dealing with it and, and, but you just can't beat it. It's great. Um, ABS, you can either A, um, sand it or B, you can, um, hit it with acetone and it will actually smooth out the striations. So like what I love ABS for is printing my IO trainers because evidently you'll get some micro layer adhesion problems. And if you fill that with fluid like blood, um, it's going to leak out. So what I do is I just take a cheap paintbrush that will actually hold up to the acetone, which is another topic, and I just paint the thing with it. 
and it just seals up all the holes. It knocks down the, the, the tips of the striations, and in, in 30 seconds, I'm good to go. Um, you know, you want to let it all wick off and dry, but I mean, it's very, very low maintenance. The problem with ABS is it is a warpy, warpy material. Now, what I mean by that is you will level your bed. You will use high-tech, awesome, layer adhesion products like hairspray or something expensive, and you will print, you'll get great layer adhesion, and you'll walk away for five hours, and you will walk back, and that correct trainer base or whatever you're printing has curled and peeled up and we're talking i've seen curling and peeling of up to like a half an inch to an inch and i mean so the, what that means is you've either ruined it or it won't sit flat or you know whatever and i'm telling you the first six months i printed i had great luck and then i just simply had a change in season and it, it, i couldn't print anything and then the key of printing abs is it has to be a temperature controlled closed printer. So we were talking about the CR10s and things like that. And those are open printers. There's no box around it. Um, you have to use one that is closed, whether you make a, an enclosure for it or whatever, and you want to keep the air in that chamber at about 90 degrees-ish, 90, 95. Um, and even a draft outside of there can make your print curl up and print, you know, and, and peel up. And there's also a uh, direct correlation to the size of the print and how much it's going to curl. So doing a humeral head IO, I've actually never had a problem. It's great. Um, but doing that Craig base station, when I was first just printing ABS, I couldn't get a print that worked to save my life. Um, so PLA, like he said, rigid, hard, uh, ABS is a lot more forgiving, has flex in it, but it's a warpy material. So let's talk about kind of the best of both worlds, which is Will. So Pet G's kind of ABS lighter, PLA, PLA plus. You can't use PLA plus anymore now because there is actually a PLS, PLA plus product. But yeah. basically you're, you're kind of stepping up from that PLA, going on to the next material, not quite going to ABS. Um, Pet G they would call it flexible, but it's still a rigid material. Uh, and it doesn't have the temperature inadequacies, I guess is probably the best problems, problems, temperature problems Assholes. that you have with using ABS. So Dave mentioned you need to have an enclosure to print ABS. Um, yes, you can build it. It can be plywood. It can be plexiglass. You can spend 200 bucks and buy one that's commercially made, but you're going to need some kind of enclosure because even just a cool draft rolling through a room or the air conditioner kicking on in your house will screw up an ABS print. Can't. And that's, and can. that's with an enclosure. Yes. Cause I've had, cause I've got my, my Chidi tech or QIDI is in a close. It came in its own enclosure and I still a draft outside the room or outside that bed will warp it. Yeah. And so Peggy is just kind of that next step up from PLA moving on ABS. I will be honest. If I don't need it to be flexible, I just print PLA. It's it's not worth the headache of anything else or the expense. I, I just said Enland has really inexpensive filaments, so your ABS isn't that bad, but it's still about five bucks a kilo more than PLA, even using cheap products. Uh, I'm yet to run into a print as far as the rigid items that I couldn't use PLA, uh, which takes me kind of into the next one. If you're wanting to print flexible material, uh, you're going to have to basically modify a machine. So most of the machines we're talking about is fused deposition modeling, 
are not going to handle flexible materials too well. They, they tend to bind up in motors, the gears kind of push them up. That said, it can be done. You have to be careful. I know the CR10, you can make a print that kind of helps guide that filament a little bit better and keep it straight. Um, but once you've made those modifications, TPU is kind of the initial flexible material that you'll see. It can also be had relatively inexpensive if you go on things like Amazon and just search for flexible 3D printing. It is very tricky. Things will get screwed up. You are going to burn through a lot of it before you get something right. But that allows you to print the, the cartilage that you're looking for as far as being able to actually print the trachea to drop into the model and have it be squishy as they palp it. Um, that, that's kind of that next step. That's probably, honestly, that's probably the Everest of 3D printing materials when it comes to especially using a CR10 or an Ender um, or any of the low-end printers, you know, cheaper entry-level printers. Flexible materials are a headache and require a lot of modification. And I'm going to weigh in on this one because I, I've, I've played a lot with it. I've printed a lot of TPU. Finding the right settings, once you dial in your settings, I've actually gotten really consistent results um, on TPU. So I've actually had really, really good luck. The key is we're going to throw a term at you, Bowden extrusion. And what that means is Bowden um, basically means that to push the filament through the nozzle of the extruder itself so the hot glue gun part of it it is pushing it from farther away from that extruder actually on the back rail system so it actually has to push really really hard and push pressure to get it through that nozzle and it's not doing it close to the nozzle now my qidi i talk about a lot in the flash forge and there's a lot of them is a direct drive so it actually is pushing it right next to the extruder so there's less chances of it folding over or gumming up or basically jamming in the printhead. And that's what the problem is with flexible filaments is. So if you have one of these Bowden extruders, uh, it's it's just has so much more area, so much more room that it's it's pushing that it has more chance for it to bind up and bend over since it is so flexible in it. So really you want to try to direct drive and you want no gaps if you can have it from the gears that shove it into that extruder and go. So that is where you'll really, so yeah, like he's saying, a CR10 is a Bowden. Uh, you know, my first printer was a Bowden and it, it, it was, it's just got so much room from where it pushes it to the nozzle. It'll just fold over. So um, I actually like TPU, but yeah, the first print or two, I just got to dial in those settings every time. Uh, one thing I want to go back to PETG on is PETG is awesome, uh, an awesome material. I like it a lot. The biggest problem I have with it is your first layer adhesion. Um, I have printed uh, catapults for the kids and it's a great material for that because it is very glassy, flexible. Um, it, it looks neat and all that. So it's great for whatever you need that flexibility, like for a catapult. Um, but I would print three of them perfect the very next time. The fourth print, I couldn't get anything to stick to the bed. So that's been my problems with, with PETG. But I, I, I do like it a great deal. I like ABS as well. It's just learning what material to print for what you know, what you want to get out of it. Um, so that's why we go back to PLA because it's so damn predictable. It's so damn reliable and it just works. 
Uh, talking about other materials, um, we're not going to get too far into it, but there are wood infused, there's metal infused, there's uh, polycarbonate, like your uh, water bottles for, you know, if you buy the, the big pack from Costco and things like that. Again, we're trying to keep things very, very simple. These are your go-to starter filaments, and honestly, they're your bread and butter filaments in MedSim. Uh, talk about upgrades. So I feel like we've already hit on this a few times today as far as going back and forth. Totally. You know, really there's, there's, I think most of us that are getting into 3D printing or have been in 3D printing for a while, we tend to have that same personality that nothing's ever good enough the way it shows up. And so I have to fuck with it. I mean, that's the really- Tim Taylor thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so the big joke here is, is, you know, there's not even a joke. It's pretty serious. Like you really can brick a machine that you just spent 600 bucks on if you don't know what the hell you're doing. That's not to say not to play with it, not to upgrade it. It just means be careful, right? And make sure you understand the machine before you start doing it. Are the upgrades worth it? I would say the ones that I purchased, I purchased to solve a problem. Therefore, they were worth it. If I didn't have a problem, and again, problem is kind of loose there, right? I, was, I didn't want to have to level the bed all the time, so I bought a bed leveler. Um, but if you don't have a problem, it's definitely not your car that you're like, hey, I'm just going to put all this cool shit on it because I'm going to have, you know, why not tinker with it? definitely make sure you know what you're doing and where you're going. Now that said, auto bed leveling is great if and only if you know how to manually level a bed and you understand what the process is and you understand that auto bed leveling is not physically leveling the bed, it's adjusting the print to put. So you still have to level it perfectly before you start the auto bed leveling and then after that it'll run. Um, you know, we talk about bed adhesion and, and swapping out the glass for something else. Yeah, hell yeah, that's a worthwhile upgrade. It was 10 bucks and I got 12 sheets of glass. And so now I've got that ability to move them all the time. What's $10 at Lowe's, right? I mean, that's not a big deal. Uh, print removal, so the flexible, the, the flex steel is really awesome. You just literally flex it and the print pops right off of it. But you're gonna pay, especially for a CR10 size one, 50 or 60 bucks. Is it worth that or do I just wanna use a spatula to scrape the print off, right? Uh, and so again, if you're having an issue and there's an upgrade available, 100% worth it. If you just want to do something really cool to your printer, think twice before you tear into it because it may never work again. And the one thing I want to weigh in on is um, make sure you know where you're buying things from. Because again, the Chinese knockoff sometimes can be okay and great, but sometimes it is what will make you, you know, you will see a bed leveling sensor from a company like TH3D from Easy ABL, or I mean, there, that's the TH3D one, um, the Touch BL, things like that. And then you'll see off uh, Banggood or, or uh, um, another, you know, any of, these, any of these websites, ooh, I can buy it for a third the price. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You won't get the support. You won't get the, unless you are that ultra tech, and, and more power to you. But for the rest of us, I'm telling you, sometimes it's worth just paying the prices because I'm telling you, I, I've dealt with you. We both dealt with TH3D and their price or their support is so awesome. They have a whole group of people that will just get on the internet with you and chat with you and try to help you out. So uh, you know, make sure you know where you're getting your stuff from. Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll speak for THCD again. And there are other great companies out there. It's just one, A, they have probably the best prices, which is why we would go with them in the first place. Um, but I will tell you, he's right. You get on the phone with TH3D and they will walk you through step-by-step -step how to install something you bought from them with very few exceptions. And it says on the website, this includes phone support. This doesn't include phone support. 
usually that doesn't include phone support are the unsupported upgrades. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to take this piece that was made for a different printer and put it in my printer. And that's when they kind of wash their hands and say, have at it. Yes, it'll work, but no, we're not going to warranty it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of the difference there. So yeah, I think the upgrades are great if you have a reason for it, or it's something you really want to do and you have a, you have an expected outcome, but it's not something to just, you know, you buy a $600 printer and you drop another 500 bucks in it. You might as well have spent a thousand dollars and got the upgraded printer in the first place. Man, that Honda Civic that I dumped 10, 20 grand in. Oh, it's so hot now. So we just lost all of our civic owners as listeners right there. Oh no, I was a civic. I had a great civic and I bought a whole bunch of crap off eBay and it was crap. So that was the equivalent of buying all your, your cheap Chinese knockoffs. So I think it's fair to mention, um, what if you're into this, you're just not there yet. You want to get into this and you need to print things and you don't have a printer or you're not, you know, you haven't bought one yet, but by golly in two, three weeks, you've got a training up. Is there any way of doing that? You know, getting something printed. So Shapeways uh, is basically a 3D printing service online and I have actually used them. So before I had access to a printer, I had them print some 3D, you know, these bike trainers for me and they were amazing. They were actually really, really solid. Uh, they are a resin printing company. So you won't have the lines associated with FDM printing. You'll get a nice high quality print. And I think for those tracheas they printed me, I think they were 23 bucks a piece. And so hands down, I, I would recommend them. Uh, obviously $23 a print is not sustainable. You might as well invest in the printer if you're going to be doing that a lot. But if you just need a one-off project or you know, hey, once or twice a year, I'm going to need this. I, I send people to Shapeways all the time. I think they do a great job. And there are other out there. I just don't know them. Shapeways is just one of those. They're the Xerox. They're the known one that I know of. So if you know of other ones that you've had great experiences with, we expect to see your comments. Um, yeah, uh, Shapeways is where I've sent people to. And you know, every, yes, it's a lot more expensive than printing it if you have a printer. But if you don't, you can't beat it. And the quality is bar none. Uh, Let's talk about uh, limitations. Um, when should you not print something? And, and this is a hard one because we all, we all have printed things that we know we could buy from the dollar store. That's exactly, <laughs> that's probably the best example is, hey, I, I have this problem and I know I can buy this part for seven bucks or I can spend the next 48 hours redesigning <laughs> it myself in CAD and then another four hours printing it and it still doesn't work. If it's something that, that you have an easy fix to, sometimes it's smarter just to take the easy out. If that small trinket of a piece that you need on your you know, 14-year-old simulator that's well outside of warranty is you know, cost you four or 500 bucks and you can print it for $8, yeah, sure, it's gonna take you 40 hours to design it. That's a different story. Um, but I definitely, you need to do that cost-benefit analysis and remember that cost doesn't always equal what you're paying for it, but also your time is valuable as well. Yes. And, uh, you know, we're going to have show notes on this one, quite a lot of show notes on this one. And I have the Jeff Goldblum from uh, Jurassic Park at our show, noom, show notes is, uh, you know, they were so preoccupied whether they could do it, they didn't stop and think whether they should. And again, we're all printing, and I'm guilty of it too. We print stuff that we know we don't really need to because it's fun. But again, if it's something for work or something that you need, that you can go down the street and buy a Dollar Tree. Think about it. Just think about it. Your time is important. Um, another thing I'm going to put in the show notes are for printing problems. There's four different um, uh, links I've got to uh, great resources on how to troubleshoot prints, 
you know, you're up, you're printing, and things go wrong. Over extrusion, under extrusion, extrusion, layer adhesion, all these fancy words that we're not getting into today. But uh, there's going to be four really, really good links to uh, troubleshooting guides. And, and I'm telling you, he and I have both used these like crazy. They're great resources. All right, man. Well, I mean, that's pretty much wrapping our day up here. So we have a couple of things we we're going to talk about. Uh, where can we look for good examples, right? Because I mean, this is like anything else. It's just like the FX makeup and the moulage. There is a shitload of information out there. And most of it is just that. It's absolute shit, right? So who do we go to to find good examples of what what a solid 3D print should look like, what a quality, you know, CAD, you know, CAD drawing, et cetera. So that it's not just some random guy that bought a 3D printer and is posting content on the internet, but really doesn't understand how the hell to use it. So uh, this is more of the, you know, we were talking about who is the inspiration for you. Um, and uh, Rick Baker, I mentioned earlier, is a makeup effects artist that, um, you know, did uh, American Werewolf in London. He did, I mean, he's just an amazing human being other than he's one of, one of the godfathers of special effects makeup. And uh, he's retired. But if you pay attention to his Instagram, he is just banging it out left and right. And what's interesting is if you listen to like the Battles of Bits with Rubber podcast with Rick or uh, some of the other ones is he retired to be able to continue to play, but now he can do whatever he wants. And he is doing some amazing rendering in programs like ZBrush. And we kind of skipped over the design programs because we don't want to go that deep into the woods. Um, if we get enough interest, we can talk about design programs as you and I are learning them and stuff. But ZBrush is a digital clay sculpting software, um, you know, and he's using a lot of that. And that's what a lot of the makeup effects people are using because um, it's basically digital clay. Uh, one of the recent finds I found was um, a guy named Jack B. Stubbs, S-T-U-B-B-S. And I found him via LinkedIn. Um, he is doing some absolutely amazing med sim and anatom or anatomical models and it's all in um, 3d printing it's all 3d rendering and he's using some of the absolute high-end printers like the thirty thousand dollar stratus printer the stratus printer that can print you your you know super super soft flesh-like materials and your rigid clears and it's just amazing stuff so i found him on linkedin i've actually talked with him a couple times just through uh, messenger awesome super nice guy he just wants to help people and and you know show 3d printing and med sim so if you're not uh, following him on linkedin do it um and who do we get to talk about next yeah so i'll just follow up <laughs> to so uh, jack stubbs i i've never met this guy but i've been following a lot of his stuff as well they all of their software and everything they're using all those rendering softwares that is proprietary not only are they using the software to make really cool shit they developed the software because nothing on the market did what they needed it to do. Yeah. Uh, and so the university has put a ton of time and money and research behind this guy and he is running wild with it. Um, you know, we, we talked earlier about Todd's book. I told you guys I met him already. Uh, there's an, in the newest edition of the book. So the third edition of the book, there is a chapter on 3d printing. And even then it's kind of like a, Hey, here's some ideas of what could be done more to come. You know, that's kind of how it's set up. Uh, but, but that's a great one. The Battles of Bits of Rubber podcast. Both of those guys are way, way up there in the special effects makeup industry. Uh, and both of them are good resources for people that are learning this as well. And both you mean Todd and Stuart Bray, who is the yes. British 
component of that podcast. Uh, he's a makeup effects artist. You know, he's done some little things like, you know, um, um, Game of Thrones and, you know, uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, these little things. It's shit nobody's you know. ever heard of, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and, you know, Todd and Todd and Stewart are just, other than amazing human beings, receptive. They just want to go out and help people and teach people. They're also stupidly talented. All right. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot more out there. Like I said, search around. If you have a project that you want to 3D print or you think 3D printing might be an option, somebody has probably already done it or at least has already started and given up when they realized that either, A, they didn't have the ability to do it or maybe it wasn't a good idea after all. Uh, and so make sure you're using your resources. Reach out. The SSH forums are a good spot to start. I, I mention Reddit a lot just because they have a really solid 3D printing community. So Reddit. You're the Redditor of the family. Yeah. Well, I don't use Facebook. And so I feel like Reddit is kind of like my vice if I have one. And I'm very rarely on there. I've been trying yeah. to, I've been trying to revive the medical simulation community on Reddit. Do it. Um, so, uh, I mean, those are, I mean, that's pretty much a good start of like people that are specifically, and they're not even medical. Most of these people are, are except for Jack, most of these people are FX. Yeah. Um, but when we're talking about just looking for content, it tends to be that special effects makeup. And I said this earlier, there is a huge crossover from monster makeup to medical moulage and ten products and ideas tend to come out tenfold for that side of the house before we get them with, the, especially with this huge resurgence of cosplay and everything else. Um, so whether you're into that scene or not, I certainly am not. There's definitely good information. And even if they don't have the exact solution you're looking for, you can go, Hey, you know what? I can use a, B and C from their ideas and plug them into what I need. And I've solved my own problem here. All right, Dave. So here is, Here's what I want to ask you. What yep. is your absolute dream printer? So budget's oh, not an issue. What do you got? The problem is I have too many. Um, you know, the Stratus printer, of course, if budget is absolutely no, no uh, thing, but uh, the, the Mark Forge printers, man, to be able to print, um, you know, metals and to be able to print, you know, things that you can bolt onto your car directly from the printer or once they're forged, uh, there's, there's concrete printers, but I'm really excited about the technologies they're working with, with, um, the biomaterials and the silicones and stuff like that. One person I wanted to me uh, mention, um, I follow, um, Sanjeet and I'm not going to butcher your last name and I'm sorry. He's probably not listening, but I'll tell you what, he's a heck of a nice guy and he pays attention to everybody, but it's studio Sanjeet on, um, on uh, Instagram. He will print, um, cores and molds and then run pieces out of those. And, and the guy's just cutting edge on almost everything he does. He's just, and an awesome human being that just likes to help people and stuff like that. So um, what, what are your dream printers? So I'm a little more realistic, right? So that Stratasys is, <laughs> is awesome, right? You and I got to you know, mess around and hang out at their booth about, well, it was a year ago now, a little yeah. over a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. But at $300,000, even my dream budget doesn't explain that. Like, doesn't give me that opportunity. No, it's only like 33000 No, no, no. It's, Are you sure? It's, he told us, he told us it's three to three fifty for the one we saw there. I know they yeah. have lower models, but okay. that one we saw that, he said it was three to three fifty. I must've um, lost it after that, that other zero. I, I have a tendency of doing that and stop paying attention after it's got already a couple zeros on the end. Exactly. It's, and so for me, I mentioned this earlier, the form labs three, and I know they're coming out with a four. I think right now it's probably the best thing on the market as far as complementing an already existing FDM printer to have that SLA. It's got a decent build volume. It has those bioelastics I was talking about. It also has engineering materials that you can build ridiculously strong stuff uh, at a very, very high resolution. 
And for that $3,500 to $4,000 price range to get started is still reasonable enough that many of us could potentially budget that. Reasonable-ish? Reasonable-ish, yeah. It's, I mean, and I would say that's more of your, your print center. Your sim center is going to buy that. I mean, you know, I know a lot of you diehards are out there are going to buy them and things like that. And I know some friends have got them, but that's why I bought my um, Shadow 5.5 because it's $300 for resin. It was able to, I was able to dip my toe in resin for 300 bucks. Yeah, and that's great. So, you know, the more you dig into that printer and, and let me know what you're thinking about it, I, I'm probably going to have a hard time restraining myself from doing the same. I like it. I like it a lot. So. All right. Well, we have gone way longer than we normally do. I feel like we had to make up for that three weeks that we took off. So uh, I will call it there. I hope Good. you guys all have a, a wonderful night, and we will be back within a week with the next one. And the last thing I will say is please do me a favor, uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, all that does is, you know, we don't make a dime off this stuff. We're just doing this for you guys. It just lets us know, hey, you're interested. And it uh, later on, you know, it might help us out. I don't know. Uh, make sure if you're on the Apple uh, podcast area, you're leaving reviews. Uh, good, bad, and different. Don't lie to us. Tell us what you think. If we need to improve something, call us out. We are fine with that. And then we are on, um, uh, we are on uh, Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, uh, all of those platforms, and probably a few more. And we are also on the Podbean, Podbean app. Uh, that's who hosts our uh, thing or our podcast there. Leave your comments. You know, tell us good, bad, and different. We just want to hear from you guys. We want the interaction. So we appreciate each and every one of you. Um, and uh, thank you very much. Mm -hmm.